The Bruins had a pair of one-goal victories this weekend. First over the Pittsburgh Penguins, 4-3 in Pittsburgh, where you saw David Pasternak get goals 55, 6, and 7. Um, and then they followed it up on Sunday with a shootout victory over the St. Louis Blues, which it took four years, but I think the Bruins finally put an end to the Blues Cup hopes in a season, correct? Is that is that accurate, Scott? Yeah, St. Louis now officially eliminated from the playoffs. There we have it. So, like I said, a couple years late, but hey, better late, better late than never. And in doing so, the Bruins earned their 60th win of the season. Uh, it's already they've already eclipsed uh, a, a franchise record for wins in a season. They now sit just three wins shy of the NHL record, which you guys may or may not care about that listening. Bridget and Scott, you may or may not care about that podcasting, but it's an objective uh, goal that 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 is in front of them that they could that could realistically reach in the last what six games or five games that they have here. Five. Five games left. So yeah, you gotta win two to tie, three to break it. So you know, uh, we were talking about this on Sunday skate this morning, and my feeling is like you might as well go for it. You know, it's it's a nice carrot to dangle on the stick, and they're a team that's you know other obviously the bigger motivation is get ready for the playoffs, you know, make sure you're on your game, good habits, all that. But in terms of like actually winning day to day, you know, what's your motivation to actually win games and and continue to get points. Like that's a pretty good one. That's a nice little feather to have in, in your cap. If, if if you, if you can get it. So yeah, it's, it's not the primary goal. We know that none of these regular season records have, ever been the primary goal, but you like you see a game like today, right? Where Bergeron's resting, Krejci's out. Now, Jim Montgomery said Krejci actually wouldn't have been able to play. Still doesn't sound like it's anything major, though. Uh, McAvoy rests. So you see the Bruins still taking that approach of, okay, bigger picture in mind. Let's make sure we're healthy. Let's, you know, manage guys, workloads, all that. But then for the guys who are out there on the ice, go and win the game. And they do ultimately in a shootout, you know, they get up three, nothing and blow a three, nothing lead. And I really, I thought really that third period, you saw a team that was kind of feeling the schedule a little bit and, you know, playing second day of a back to back and missing three year stars. Like it seemed like it finally caught up to them. They kind of ran out of gas in that third period, but then they find, you know, they find enough to squeak it out in a shootout. They nearly win in overtime. Dmitry Orlov rips a one-timer past Bennington, but Pasenak was offside by only about seven feet. So uh, that goal came back. That was a pretty easy overturn. But, you know, you find a way to get the win. Like you said, number number 60, only the fourth team ever to do it. And, yeah, you, like you might as well try to chase down those 95 96 wings, the 18 19 lightning, the Canadians point record, which is still in sight. Like, you know, why not? You're still trying to win games no matter who's in the lineup. Yeah. And the guys who come in know that, you know, they have that added pressure even more so to, to try to get things done and, and, um, you know, they can make an impact on, on history as well, even though some of the guys haven't played much of the season. Like if you're talking about Steen, who just came up um, and got his first goal of the season and somebody like Lauko and then 
obviously still to come probably some other call-ups um, towards the end of the year, maybe, you know, the last two or so games of the year, we could be looking at some other guys jumping up into the lineup and they have, you know, they obviously have their professional careers and to play for and to, to try to impress people, but they also have this, um, you know, they can be a footnote in this record if they're able to help the Bruins get those last few wins. So I just want to comment real quick on just the national coverage because uh, Saturday was on ABC, obviously owned by Disney ESPN and uh, Sunday was on TNT, but on Saturday, did you guys, did you guys hear like the comment after past next post game in uh, post game interview where I don't know, I don't know who it was, if it was Ray Ferrar or somebody, but somebody commented on, on like, yeah, the, Pasternak, you know, had a great game and um, helping the Bruins get out of this sluggish streak they've been in. But it's like Pittsburgh was their ninth win in their last 10 games. And I, like, I don't know if you guys heard that or saw people talking about that. It online. Was Emily, Emily Kaplan during the interview and it almost threw pasta off. Like she was like, do you feel like you're back? Like this, this team is back after like a hard time. And he's just like, yeah, <laughs> but but one one of the gentlemen in the in the uh, in the um, studio commented right after because I, I heard her say that too. Now it, it, when she said that, I was like, I was like, what do you mean are the Bruins back? Like they have six, they have, they have fifty nine wins in a year at that point. Like when were they not? Um, and then narrative, somebody in the studio, Ryan, narrative. And then somebody in the studio like said, yeah, like literally commented on like Pash not getting the Bruins out of their sluggish streak, and it's like. They've literally just won their ninth out of 10 games. And we've talked about it on this podcast because we talk three times a week. Like, we know that throughout those nine wins, like, they weren't playing their best hockey. So maybe maybe that's what they're referring to. But, like, I don't, I find it hard to believe on a national broadcast that they'd be that into the weeds of, like, how they played in those nine wins. They just, like, I just like they don't, I don't know. It's, like, it's like weird, the narrative that goes around the Bruins sometimes in national I, coverage. I wonder if, like, they're almost getting that from the Bruins. Like, they're doing their production meetings and the Bruins – you know, whether it's Montgomery or the players that they're talking to or saying like, yeah, we haven't really been playing the way we know we're capable of, you know, we want a 60 minute effort, like same things that like we hear. And it's like, I think we know that like, that's because their standards are so high and their expectations for themselves are so high that yeah, when they have a couple games where it's only a 40 minute effort, like they're, kind of disappointed in in themselves even if they got the win so i I feel like i kind of feel like part of it is like those guys probably hear that and then they take it to the broadcast and it's like well you know and it also kind of like can add to i guess the story of the game of like not only are the penguins fighting for their playoff lives but the bruins are you know trying to get back to themselves or whatever like it gives them an angle for the bruins as well but yeah it does it does feel a little overblown when you just look at the wins and losses and it's like, you know, Bruins have the best record in the NHL over the last 10 games, just like they have the best record all season. And it's like, you know, like tell me who is every game in dominant fashion right now, because it's not happening. Yeah. Well, to, to like speak to that as like being on the broadcasting side of it for college hockey, I, I have production meetings every weekend or every week before Fridays and Saturdays with each team's coach. And yeah, they will only tell you like bad things about their team. They'll only be like, yeah, we're going to be better at face offs and uh, penalty kill could improve, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of the times it's, um, 
it's more just what they're worried about, not necessarily what like the broadcaster should just take verbatim and be like, oh yeah, they're you know they're going through some stuff right now. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I I know what those meetings are like, and the coaches are normally you know very high on their opponent and very much this is what we need to fix. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't mean to you know bash the 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 broadcast teams. I just it's just sometimes when you hear things like that, it's just like oh god. Like, well, it just know. reminds you that we're not like that they're not following things the same way we are in the same way that the Nesson crew and well, but they know. should be, but they should be though. I mean, that's kind of what they're, I mean, I don't know. Like I'm not saying not to criticize the Bruins, but like, it just seemed, it just seemed, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it's just like, I, I mean, I'm the first one to kind of like, you know, talk about what the Bruins are not playing great, but sluggish, sluggish, you know, streak that they're in. Okay. So just one, nine out of 10, but okay, go off. <laughs> um, So to keep it to uh the games at hand, we, we can break down, you know, different intricacies about each game. But I think for me, one of the more important storylines to follow, and Scott, you wrote about it, and we've commented on it in the past, but it's just we've seen a little bit more of it. Like this, the Bruins power play has been kind of getting off the schneid a little bit. And although McAvoy wasn't in the lineup today, nor was Krejci, you wrote about it, Scott, and I just feel like I I, I like that that look of, of – um, that unit of McAvoy, Krejci, Bertuzzi, Zaka, and Pasternak, and it's it's helped them get out of a, this this slump that their power play has been in. And I just think that they should they should go with what makes sense right now. Just continue to maybe lean on that unit, maybe a little bit more than the other unit. Yeah, I would definitely like to see get more run. Now, obviously, they couldn't use that unit Sunday because both McAvoy and Krejci were sitting, but. Yeah, I mean, small sample size. They've only played 10 minutes together on the power play across four games, but they've scored three goals. Uh, you know, until until the Bruins' second power play goal on Saturday, which was, like, right at the end. It was kind of a mishmash unit. Like, Greer and Nosek were already out there for the next five-on-five five shift, and Pasenak tips home uh, in Orlov shot. Before that, it was that, you know, I'm going to call them the check unit because that's what Jim Montgomery has called them had scored the last three going back to last Sunday in Carolina, then Thursday against Columbus. And then the first power play goal of Saturday's game against Pittsburgh. And, you know, like you've been desperately searching for answers in the power play for weeks, months, like, and you haven't really found anything that's clicked and that's clicking right now. So yeah, I get like, it's tough to, you know, to have to tell Bergeron and Marchand they're on the second unit or whatever. Like I, Montgomery's, you know, good at delivering messages. He can figure out how to how to talk to them about that and how to, you know, answer questions from the media when we ask them. But yeah, the overall takeaway though is like that unit is has looked better than anything they've had on the power play in a long time. So I would definitely ride them and give them a chance to basically to keep proving it and to keep to potentially run with the title of number one unit. Yeah. And, and we've already seen how Montgomery skirts it by saying Pasternak's unit is the top unit. You know, that's just how it is because he's Pasternak. So, um, and then that they, you know, kind of flop him back and forth and get him more time. Um, 
But yeah, so so Brian, you didn't get a chance to talk about this, but Maria from Watertown called into Sunday Skate this morning and Scott and I and Razor talked about it a little bit, but she said, she, you know, I hate to be blasphemous, but I thought that the power play looked better without Bergeron in the bumper. Um, what do you think about that, Brian? Well, I, I, Scott kind of went over it a little bit last episode too, but I just think uh, I think Zaka just brings a skating element that Bergeron doesn't have in puck retrievals in the Ozone on the power play. And I know you mentioned the bumper in particular, and there's not a ton of retrievals there, but there actually there actually is. Um, I also just like – I just really love that combination of Zaka in the bumper and Bertuzzi on the goal line slash in front of the net because – Bertuzzi is one of those players who's really, really efficient at that quick one-touch pass to the slot from the goal line. Like when it goes from like the circle or the, it would probably go from the from the half wall to Bertuzzi, and then he just like before the defenders can realize that the puck's already in the bumper. Whereas I just feel like Bergeron and DeBrusque don't really have they don't really uh, exemplify that play too often. A lot of times, like they do here and there, but I don't know. There's like there's, there's a confidence to the way Bertuzzi does it, and you can just tell he did it a lot in Detroit, and now it's kind of a specialty. And like Zaka has a really, really good shot, really good snapshot, really good wrist shot. And um, yeah, for me, it's for me, it's 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 not a, it's not uh, it's not about Bergeron. It's just like it's it's just more about what Zaka's doing because um, Bergeron obviously is wonderful at it. He's really good. But there's just – I think there's a quickness factor right now with Zaka, and he's feeling really confident about his game. And he has a little bit more size, and I don't know. Um, for me, like, for me, it's – when I think of that, that first power play unit struggling, the first thing that comes to mind is not Bergeron, it's Marchand. Like, I, like Marchand, to me, is the one who's, like, just – he's just stagnant out there. And we covered it last episode, so I don't want to go over, you know, too, too much. But he just doesn't I, – I, I'm starting to wonder. Like, I'm really trying to figure out right now if what's best for Marshan is for them to rest him for the playoffs or to let him keep playing. Because, like, I just feel like he doesn't seem very crisp out there right now. He's kind of – he's not he's not Brad Marshan. And I don't know if rest will help that or, or, or if he needs to work his way out of it. But at this stage in the season, like, he should be, like, clicking on all cylinders and he just seems to be fighting it like he's, like – He's not, he's, he's kind of just like giving the puck away a lot, which is not like him. Um, yeah. He had a really weird turnover that almost led to a girl, a goal in the first period um, that mm-hmm. I noticed. It was just very unlike him, the way he stick handled um, the puck right away from himself without all that much pressure. Um, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Bri. No, no, um, no, it's okay. Yeah. I I have two things to that. So Bertu- to the Bertuzzi thing, he also is different in DeBrusque than DeBrusque on the power play in that he is a bit more physical um, and probably more of a nuisance to push out of that net front spot. And um, so I, I like the way that Bertuzzi's played on the power play. He got the power play goal um, in today's game. So I, I like that look for him. And having him there I think is is different than having DeBrusque there. I think he can be more effective there. Um, and to the Marshawn thing, this was his 13th game in a row without a goal. And Scott and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. Like you have to go back so far to find another time where he's gone that long without scoring. Yeah, I think I definitely think part of it's mental, you know, like he's he's gripping the stick a little too tight and now kind of kind of forcing it a bit because I feel like it 
has gone into his head a little bit. So, Brian, to your point, like I, I think Mike, I feel like there's probably one more rest day for Martian coming up, and you know, I, I think next Sunday at Philadelphia is probably going to be a pretty big rest day for a lot of guys because um, that's you know back to back with travel, kind of one of those situations again, which we've seen them now use a couple weeks in a row to get a lot of guys rest. Um, but I also think like you need him to play out of it because I don't think it's just about rest with him. If, if it was, you know, if he was like really banged up and needed it, then he would have been staying home with Bergeron this weekend, but he didn't, he went on the trip and he played in both games. So I think he's healthy enough to be playing and, you know, he's just going to have to battle through it. And, and he's done it before, you know, it's not like he's never slumped. So this one has definitely dragged on longer than, you know, I think a lot of past slumps for him, but he's, he's going to have to play out of it. Um, did you what, guys, what did you guys think of his breakaway? Like you see in the past, you see in an overtime breakaway with nobody in front of Brad Marsh on, you're like, okay, he's got a good chance of scoring this. What did you think when you saw him go on that breakaway today? Um, I don't know. I, I actually thought he had room under the pad and I, I don't know if the puck kind of slid off the end of his stick a little, or he just didn't get the shot off that he wanted, but I, I thought he actually had Bennington opened up a little and he just kind of put it like almost right into his skate, like towards the bottom of his legs. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't really think much of that. Um, one thing I was going to say, like on the power plays, you know, we touched on this couple episodes ago where, it's interesting, you know, Pasternak has talked about how penalty kills are really taking away the elbows on their power play more, you know, really playing like three wide, less compact. And I feel like Pasternak we've seen at times has adapted to that with like that step inside that we've talked about. And I, I just feel like Marchand hasn't adapted as well. Like he hasn't found the way around guys being on top of him if he's at the right dot or a little outside the right dot. Um, and, you know, I think he, he tries to force plays too much. And lastly, my last power play thought on the like Bergeron versus Zaka thing, it's Bergeron's biggest strength in the bumper, I think is getting shots off quickly, you know, like that quick release where he, you give him like a couple inches opening and he'll, he'll get the shot off. Zaka, I don't really know if Zaka can do that or not, honestly. But what Zaka's doing is he's just moving around a lot more. Like he's popping out higher. He's getting himself open. He's getting the puck in space, turning, pivoting, attacking downhill. You see him, you know, drive towards one post, dish across to the other side. You know, the assist to Bertuzzi a couple games ago like that. The diving assist to McAvoy against Pittsburgh. Like those are plays you just don't see Bergeron making because he's just not as active. And for a long time, like that was fine. He was great in the bumper. He's been one of the best bumper power play guys for, for years. But I think with teams now kind of figuring out that unit and figuring out what they want to do and defending better, like it, it requires something different and that check unit and specifically Zach in the middle, like they're bringing something different. And, you know, Zach just plays that role a little bit differently. And right now, I think the way he's playing it is more effective. 
I think there's more there's more mobility, creativity, and confidence in that Zaka Bertuzzi unit that we're talking about in comparison to the power play unit that we've been watching for years here in Boston right now. And I just feel like that's the biggest thing. Like I don't I, I I'm not gonna say that that unit offers that much more size. Like, because I think, I mean, a little bit more size, but it's really the mobility, creativity, and confidence. And and they're just zipping it around. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, it's, look, it's, I, I didn't think that we'd be sitting here earlier in the year talking now, talking about, like, having the Bruins having a PP1 unit without Bergeron and Martian. I'd be like, all right, well, where did, uh, did Wayne Gretzky and, you know, Mark Messier come, come to the team? Um, but, but, but they've added – They've added, and Zaka, you know, he's emerged all year. He was unknown for us earlier in the year when talking about this team. Um, and 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 combine that with Marshan just hasn't seemed like himself, like offensively, production-wise. And and he'd be the first one to tell you that. So we're talking about a situation where you enter the playoffs in April. Like, there's no time to massage things and figure things out. You got to win. You got to get off to a good start in, in the first series. You have to – you don't want to play from behind – you don't want to hear the pundits come out from the all the munchkins come out from the house in the in, in munchkin land in the Wizard of Oz and start saying, say, 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 tip all over again, 2018-19. Like the Bruins want to get off to a good start in the playoffs, and special teams is a big, big component to that. And this new look unit has offered more to the table, in my opinion. So I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts on that before we move on. Yes, no, no the, the, uh, the only thing I would say. One one point that Razor has made consistently as a little bit of a counterpoint is the Bruins power play was really struggling going into the playoffs last year. And then against a great Carolina penalty kill was actually one of the strong suits in that series and actually had a pretty good series. So like that, that's also fair, you know, like these guys who have shown they can go from, you know, a little bit of a slump to turn it on when it matters. So also fair, but you know, and, my counterpoint to the counterpoint would be that the Bruins didn't have a second power play unit like this that, you know, could be an alternative. Yeah. And just to, to you know, finish up that thought, they have also added weapons. It's, it's not like they don't have the weapons they need to be successful in the power play. They have the weapons there. They just some of them are somewhat slumping or just not um, in the right rhythm on the power play. But you even add two power play weapons at the deadline with Orlov and Bertuzzi. So theoretically that personnel is set up for success. Um, you know, playoffs are, are kind of different. People step up and if you're the Bruins, you, you hope that you see a little bit of a shift in um, the urgency on the power play once playoff time comes around. One final thought for me too. And it just came to my mind cause I just completely forgot, but Felino and Hall, both guys that have been out of the lineup for over a month at this point, um, like they're two guys that Taylor Hall in particular never left a power play unit all year. Nick Felino, I feel like was on one of the units for most of the year too, as a net front guy. So we're talking about as it currently stands with those two guys out of the lineup, you, you have, you have 10 guys that create two deep power play units. What is, what, what do they do with Taylor Hall when he comes back? Do they, do they try to slide him into like, where do they put him? Like, that you don't want to mess up that that Bertuzzi Zaka you know we just talked about. Is there room for him on PP one? It would be either him or DeBrusque, right? Or maybe you go with the four. I don't know. Like, what what do you think they do with that? 
more more particular Nick Taylor Flino. Hall. Nick Felino, we know they could probably like not have to rush him into the power play, obviously, but like Taylor Hall. I could see Hall. So here's what I would like to see. Like here's here's my plan A. Keep this check unit together. McAvoy, Pasanak, Zaka, Krejci, Bertuzzi. On the other unit, have Hall replace. I guess it could be Orlov or Lindholm, but I'll say Orlov because he's the one who's been playing um, kind of more in the, like the elbow spot than the point. So then you get a PP2 of Lindholm, Hall on the left, Bergeron bumper, Marchand right, DeBrusque net front. And see how, see how that goes. Maybe maybe Hall, you know, helps spark that unit. Like he's, he's obviously a good playmaker. He can play with some speed. He could help that unit's entries. So... Uh, that that's what I that's what I would do. That'd be my plan. What an what an embarrassment of riches this team has. Right. This is this is insane. This is like a this is like a international roster or like an Olympic roster or an All Star roster. I mean that's crazy. That that's that's insane. Um, Bridget, you, do you do you do you echo Scott's sentiment there? Oh yeah, yeah. No, that seems like the best way to go about it if you're trying to preserve that um, the the check unit. Okay. All right. Um, I agree with that as well. 